Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo. <laughs> Running. Good thing you didn't swallow that bell. <laughs> the 4 a.m. zoomies have a whole new tenor to them. Be so pissed. Be so pissed. <laughs> Speaking of annoying noises. Really? We're talking about scream. Scream. Scream's kind of an annoying noise. Especially the way I just said it. <laughs> scream. Scream. That was like, remember when we talked our very first episode where I was like, we're talking about, and I went, it follows, like a weird baby. It follows. I made sure that I never did that again. <laughs> Not true. I probably did it right after. It's like, we're talking about it. <laughs> like Jennifer's body. <laughs> What's wrong with me? That's why I'm horrified by myself too. We're talking about scream. Scream. <laughs> I'm going to sound very dignified. Mm. We're talking about scream. The original, made in 1996. Yes. Are you ready for some facts about Scream? I'm so excited for facts. Like I said, I'm trying to take better like notes on like the facts and everything, since my notes about the horror is always just buck wild weird. So, here are some facts. Yes. I had to write every movie for some reason. I like, couldn't stop myself. I had to write every movie that Wes Craven did. <laughs> Specifically the ones that were listed on where I get my notes. The yeah. first was all on Google when you put the movie. <laughs> Everyone... Shut up. <laughs> Everyone that didn't say anything, shut the fuck Don't up. come for me. <laughs> uh, so the movie was directed by Wes Craven. He also made all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Uh, the first four Scream films. I feel like that's not true, but I think so. No, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> Hush, I'm right. <laughs> Last House on the Left. The Hills Have Eyes. People Under the Stairs. Red Eye. The Serpent and the Rainbow. Shocker. Vampire in Brooklyn. Music of the Heart. And... He was also born in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. That's not a movie he That's directed. That's not a movie, okay. But I wrote it right after the movie. Yes. So I was like, and born in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> so he's done a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies specifically. I'm sure that's not all of his movies. Those were just the ones listed like when I looked him up and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this guy done? Lots of stuff. A few things. A few. Like, whatever. Um, it was written by Kevin Williamson. Uh, I thought Williamson. <laughs> Okay, so I read Williamson, right? Uh-huh. But because I'm dyslexic, I saw the O-N at the end oh. and thought that I had just written the word on. I wrote, Kevin Williams on. <laughs> yeah. Take that one more. Uh, it was read by Kevin Williamson. Yes. <laughs> the things that he has also written. Get ready. Dawson's Creek. Oh. The Vampire Diaries. Well. And he also wrote, I know what you did last summer. So it yes. seems like he does well with like, teen dramas yeah <laughs> supernatural or not horror it doesn't matter because he did dawson's creek hell yeah you can't never stop someone it, after they made dawson's creek apparently no. i don't know what it is i've never seen it he's powerful i know that james van never seen it shrek. that's all i know <laughs> never seen shrek oh uh, put that on a shirt <laughs> we say it so much but, like people truly can't know why i don't even remember why we're talking about Casablanca. Because you said, play it again, Sam. Oh, <laughs> said, right. I've never seen Shrek. <laughs> As if it was from Shrek. I was like, that's that's Casablanca. And you're like, yeah, I know. I've never seen Shrek. <laughs> we probably explained this a million times. I but every time 
I want people to know that we've seen Shrek, okay? Oh, I've seen Shrek. Don't worry. Okay, this is where it gets fun. So I'm going to tell you who the cinematographer is. Mm. And then I have a fun fact later. <gasps> yes. So just remember. Okay. The cinematography was Mark Irwin. He's also done Fast Company, Scanners, Videodrome, The Dead Zone, and The Fly. Mm. Here's some other fun ones. Cronenberg's The Fly? I believe so, yeah. Okay. He works, all of those would uh, are David Cronenberg. Oh, shit. Okay, he, okay, like, okay. worked with him a lot. Awesome. Um, Here's some other things he's done. Oh, no. D2, The Mighty Ducks. What? Dumb and Dumber. What? 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. There's Something About Mary. Oh. And my absolute favorite, Santa Paws 2, The Santa Pups. No. <laughs> when you said my absolute favorite, I was like, he didn't do Ratatouille. Yeah. <laughs> And ratatouille. <laughs> ratatouille. <laughs> ratatouille. I do say ratatouille like that sometimes, and uh, I do get mocked. <laughs> Whatever. So just remember, cinematography, Mark Irwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music was Marco Beltrami. Sure. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, he also did uh, Resident Evil, Woman in Black, A Quiet Place, which... A Quiet Place? I love did A Quiet Place. <laughs> did oh. they have music? Uh, I maybe in a few... I don't know. But A Quiet Place... Uh, huh. Hellboy and Snowpiercer. Oh, Snowpiercer. Yeah, so and these weren't the only ones he's done. These are just the ones that I found in the genre of like all the ones I was like, oh, I know those ones. Mm-hmm. So he's done quite a few things. Some cool stuff too. So the budget was $15 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you know how much it made? Uh, okay. So my guess, mm-hmm. $150 million. So close. Okay. $173 million. Woo! So you're, you're killing it. I'm, I'm a little sad that we've gotten over the, the wild guesses. We're not done with it. I just did better this time. I know. I just, I hope it comes back. Uh, it will. Okay. Now we just have some fun facts. So as you know, the movie Scream has been parodied, parodied quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, and do you remember what those movies were called? Scary Movie. You sure do. Oh God, noodles up. <laughs> yeah, he is. So those movies were called Scary Movie. This movie was originally called Scary Movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if like they made. Oh God, he's on the table. <laughs> he's unstoppable now. Well, I can't. I truly can't stop him. He's gonna do what he wants. <laughs> he's so large. He's so large. Okay. Well, I guess we'll just. God, please don't step on the Scarlet right, buddy. <laughs> I would rather you swallow the bow. <laughs> Come see mother. I can't wait until he meows in an indignation into the microphone when you move. he's gone (laughs) cat digressions so the movie was originally called scary movie which is hilarious i i don't know if it was on purpose like i don't know if they were like oh did you know it was originally called scary movie what Hmm. if we called ours that i don't know Hmm. but that was a fun little fact yeah here's another fun little fact oh so in the script after they had started filming they realized oh whoops there are 30 pages without a murder and they were like that's kind of a lot for a movie about murders. Yeah. So they randomly decided, let's kill the principal. So they're like, oh. cool, let's just, let's kill the principal. And that happened to just fix an issue that they had at the end of the movie. Completely oh. by accident. And I'll tell you. So they killed the principal. Yeah. And Kimberly. then they realized they needed a reason for the party goers to leave so that they could get Ghostface in there to start killing the, like, the main They characters. want to see Himbree's body. Yes. So the main characters are at a party and there's like a bunch of random party goers that are not really main characters and they needed a reason for them to leave. So they were like, oh, cool. Well, we killed the principal. Let's just have them go look at his body. <laughs> that is perfect. 
So they just got lucky with that one. They just needed a murder and boom, solved, uh, you know, two birds with one principle. Mm. <clears throat> yes. The classic parable. The, the, the classic pairing. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, they also, the, one of the reasons I was curious if Wes Craven is like hard to work with or whatever, because mm. he was almost fired twice in this movie. Yeah. One was because he was insisting that they, they film in America. Oh. They wanted to film in Vancouver because um. it would have saved them like, a lot of money, like like a million dollars or something ridiculous. And he was like, no, the film has to be all American. Like he wanted it to be just like a your all American dream. And then like, you know, murders happen. Yeah. So yeah, they were like, okay, well, we're just going to like fire you. But then eventually they were like, nah, we'll keep him. So they kept him. They found a place. They stayed in California. Mm. Uh, and here's another fun fact. The house that Drew Barrymore is in in the very beginning mm-hmm. is actually right across the street from the house where they filmed Cujo. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So nice. Two horror icons meeting. Look at this. <gasps> I love to see it. Um, so, yeah. He, he Wes Craven was, like, insisting that they film there. Um, and then he was almost kind of removed from the project again because they didn't like where the movie was going mm-hmm. after a little bit. They didn't like Ghostface that much because they didn't think it was scary. And they were like, I don't know. I think this guy might be fucking up our movie. But ended up being fine. Yeah. Here's where it gets fun about the cinematographer. <clears throat> yes. So Mark Irwin, the photographer. Steve Irwin's brother, yes. Steve Irwin's brother, yes. Mm-hmm. He was fired during the finale of Scream. Like, the, the last, like, bit of filming. Shit. A week before the principal photography was meant to be done, they fired him. After reviewing footage, Craven said it was out of focus and unusable. Oh, no. <laughs> Irwin was told to fire his crew. Uh-huh. And he said, if you want to fire them, you can fire me. So they did. Holy fucking <laughs> shit. So he was fired and he was replaced with Peter Deming, who can, went on to do Scream 2, 3, and 4, Cabin in the Woods, a few Austin Power movies, well, and Evil Dead 2. <gasps> Holy shit. Okay. So they're both very good cinematographers, but for some reason they did not enjoy uh, Mark Irwin. They well. did not enjoy his work. So yeah, a week before it was meant to be completed, they were like, Bye. Cool of him, though, to be like, they were like, fire your crew. And he was like, absolutely not. So yeah. they were like, well, you're fired. Yeah. So that's shitty. But yeah. that's what happens. I respect him for sticking up for his crew. Right? I was like, good for him. Um, so that was another reason I wasn't sure if Wes Craven is just like notoriously kind of hard to work with. Like, okay. has he done? Like, I don't know if that was, I, I didn't see the footage. Maybe it was unusable. Yeah. But he seems to be a really good cinematographer. He's worked with a lot of other horror directors who were all like, oh, yeah, good stuff. I don't know. Last fun fact. Billy, in the scene where he is stabbed with the umbrella. Yeah. He was wearing a vest uh-huh. um, just to keep it, like, safe. Because the umbrella had a retractable, like, edge. Yeah. Um, but just in case, like, they hit him too hard, he had a vest on. Mm-hmm. And a stunt woman was supposed to jump out and stab him. Yeah. One night, they missed and the vest and accidentally missed the vest and stabbed him for real. <gasps> and he was stabbed. In a wound that he already had from an open heart surgery. No. His genuine pain was caught on camera, and that's Holy what's used in the film. Fucking <laughs> shit. So poor Billy was genuinely stabbed in a wound that he already had. That you know, from open heart surgery. Unfucking kind. Yeah, so when you watch that scene, he gets stabbed, he's genuinely like, ow. <laughs> ow, Gina, thanks. Ow, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh those are all my notes. Damn, okay. Um, oh, summary. Oh, uh-huh. boy. A movie full of movie tropes mm. is a real hit. Oh, okay. What's the movie about, Nikki? <laughs> Murders. 
Yep, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Murders. Sometimes I forget. That's fine. Sometimes I forget what movies are about. This is valid. Mostly movie tropes, though. Who's the real star? The murderers or the tropes, Kate? I mean, you know what I think, so. The tropes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn right. I'm really excited about tropes this time. I assumed you would be because this movie is it's... literally, like, made for them. That is, like, the reason for it. Mm-hmm. There is a character in this movie that I was thinking to myself, oh, boy, is that just Kate? <laughs> Are you talking about Randy Meeks? <laughs> when he's just like, oh, don't go in there. This, come on. We all know. I was like, he's Kate. the audience surrogate. Yeah. Yep. And he's also the me. I loved him. He was amazing. So yeah, tropes and murderers. That's what this movie is about. That's my summary. What's the real one? From Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know why I said it. I liked it. <laughs> the sleepy little town of Woodsboro just woke up screaming. There's a killer in their midst who's seen a few too many scary movies. Suddenly, nobody is safe, as the psychopath stalks victims, taunts them with trivia questions, then rips them to bloody shreds. It could be anybody. Dot, dot, dot. I'm upset because that one was really good, and now I'm extra. Like, usually I don't care if mine are bad, but I was really excited to give a good one this time, and they blew me out of the water. I read that one, and I was like, I'm not even looking for a second. This was was glorious. Really good. I liked it a lot. Well, all right. (laughs) Well, they have had, like, two decades to get that one right, so. Well. That's true. Yeah. I guess I'll just wait two decades and see what I come up with. Yeah. <laughs> I'll set my calendar now. Yeah. I'm probably going to come back and say the exact same thing. Yeah. So don't don't get too excited. <laughs> All right. Is it time? I've been really excited for Nerd Corner because this movie just felt very um up your alley. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it was like so fun and trope heavy and I loved it so much. So I was like, oh, oh what's Kate going to say? So I love this movie, and that's why I was, like, so nervous about Nerd Corner, because I was like, what if I don't do it justice? What if I do something really boring, and it seems like I hate the movie? I love this movie. It's actually, okay, so I talked about, like, The Cabin in the Woods was the first, like, horror movie that really got me into it. This is the first one I ever saw. Oh. And I watched it with my dad, and Mm -hmm. I made him tell me who died in every scene. (laughs) I was, like, 13, maybe. And I was like, Dad, how does he die? And she's like, well, Tatum gets strangled in this scene by the garage. And I was like, okay, thanks. (laughs) And then I watched it again with friends in college and just left early. But, like, it, what I'm saying is it's a journey, and now I've seen it, like, five times, and I fucking love this movie. Yeah, hell yeah. And so I was very anxious about this nerd corner, and I just did a lot of reading, and I found a lot of articles that were like, oh, I changed the game. And I was like, okay, well, this is your opinion, and I don't disagree with it, but what do you have to back it up? And then... <gasps> I found an article that gave me so much energy. I actually unpacked my printer so I could go to town highlighting and making notes on it. <laughs> she showed me the Exhibit highlight. <laughs> it's good. Of, I used multiple highlighter oh colors my God, for different you did. things. Guys, yeah. there's so many. <laughs> I got <laughs> really excited, okay? Hell yeah. So the title of this article is A Historical Approach to the Slasher Film, the Classical Period, the Post-Slasher Films, and the Neo-Slashers. Oh. By, oh God, okay, so he's Greek, and Mm -hmm. so I do not know how to say his name. Uh, Sotiris Petritus? That Uh, is a, dang, that's a good name. It's a really good name. I feel bad that I am probably saying it wrong. I usually, like, Google how to say people's names, Mm -hmm. but because he's not, like, a famous person, there aren't a lot of YouTube videos saying, how do you say this thing? Right. So I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong, but I am going to put um, a link to 
the article in the extended yeah. show notes because it's a nice. really good article. It's only like 10 pages. I think it's pretty like anyone can read this. Yeah. It was really helpful for me. I'll get into that in a minute. I have emotions. Uh, so it ran in issue 67 of Film International and outlines a new way to organize and contextualize slashers over time. So cool. So Petritus first explains the two dominant scholarly theories surrounding slasher movies, which is apparently a woefully understudied field. Interesting. It's mostly just Carol J. Clover. Mm-hmm. I almost said Glover, and I was like, nope. And Vera Dica, which hmm. is a really cool name. Yeah. So this week I'll talk about Clover and the timeline proposed by the article, and then next week... I'll cover Dika's examination of slasher films because it's mostly relevant to the movie we're covering Ooh. next week. So, first we'll start with a broad definition. What is a slasher film? What is it? What, what are, are frogs? frogs? <laughs> <laughs> what are they? Uh, so, it depends who you ask, but a good starting place is this thank you in advance horror film wiki. The slasher film, sometimes referred to as body count films and dead teenager movies, is a subgenre of horror film typically involving a psychopathic killer, sometimes wearing a mask, who stalks and graphically murders a series of adolescent victims in a typically random, unprovoked fashion, killing many within a single day. Dead teenager film? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I guess. It's accurate. I- Pithy. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so we have a foundation, but what about how the basic identity or the trends within slasher movies have changed over time. Yeah. That's what Petritus is mostly concerned with, mapping out the three distinct phases or stages of slasher films from 74 to present. And according to their article, we have the classical period from 1974 to the end of the 80s, mm-hmm. the postmodern period from the 90s or in the 90s, and then the yeah. neo-slashers in the 2000s. I just love this because it reminds me of me studying art history in college. Uh. But just not with art. Well, kind of with art, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah. It's a really bloody art. But then again, art is bloody. Then again, yeah. Oh, so I don't know about you, but every time someone says postmodern or neo-anything, yeah. I just freeze. I'm like, I don't know what these mean. So I'll define those. Because they did. Yeah, good. <laughs> and it was super nice because I was like, God damn it, I have to Google modernity again. And they were like, no, no, no. We got you. Yeah, no. He, this author really was just like, I know that you probably don't know this word, so let's start with it. And I was like... <laughs> You see me, thank you. <laughs> so let's first start with the classical period. When we talked about Poltergeist and an American Werewolf in London, we talked about the wildness of the 80s. Yeah. With the dominant social movements in tension with each other. So there was Reaganism on the political side and a sexual awakening on the pop culture side. Love it. But there's also something else emerging in the <gasps> 80s that we haven't talked about yet that this author brought up in their article that I had no idea emerged in this period. <gasps> in 1981, this is sad. Oh. In advance. I know. I'm sorry. You looked so excited. And I was like, I just... I, I I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking a lot of things that weren't The sad. Chia Pet. No, I was really, really like, not. oh, like neon colors and like fashion. And you were like, it's sad. And I was like, it's probably not neon colors and fashion. No, it's not. It's very much not. Okay. Uh, so in 1981, the New York Times ran its first story about AIDS, oh, no. which had just been identified. Yeah. So the headline was, quote, rare cancer seen in 41 homosexuals. Ah. And this is when the phrase gay cancer started getting picked oh. up and used. Yeah. Oh. So cue homophobic and sexphobic backlash. Yeah. And I don't have enough time to actually talk about all of the like yeah, that's... panics around it and all of the ways it was weaponized against people. It's rough. So I'm just going to do a quick overview. Yeah. A very, <laughs> very quick one. Conservative forces grew even louder and more forceful about the supposed sin of homosexuality and premarital sex. And someone said that AIDS was... Quote, proof of God's vengeance. What? Yeah. So I'm not saying like all conservative people said that, but some of the voices said that. 
Oh, let me see my yarf. Yep. So basically, we have this political conservatism expanding and growing more powerful pop culture icons being offensively sexy and an emerging disease scaring us shitless. Right. And also causing a panic and backlash against queer people and already Ooh. marginalized people. So how could these things influence horror films? Oh, I'm boy. glad you asked. <laughs> I did ask. <laughs> yeah. So according to the author, slasher films have an important equation at its center. Mm -hmm. Someone transgresses, so they must be punished. In slashers, the punishment is obviously death. Yeah. And the sins can be drugs and alcohol, as Randy mentions, but it's often more about maintaining virginity. If a woman has sex before marriage, she's got to go. So this brings us to the question of who survives and why. And while you may not be familiar with Carol J. Clover, if you're not a huge fucking horror nerd like me, <laughs> uh, you are probably familiar with the term that she coined, even if you don't know it came from her. <gasps> Final girl. Hey! Yeah. So uh, Clover's explanation of the six core elements of the slasher film are outlined in her essay, Her Body Himself, which appears in her book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Kate which I have right here, <laughs> Gender in the Modern Horror Film. <laughs> uh, notably, this analysis was published in 92 before Scream came out. Oh, yeah. So she was engaging with films from like the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And it's also very like, I haven't read the whole book yet. Right. I've only read like a chapter. Uh, but anyway, the final girl is one of the six elements that she covers in that essay. The others are the killer, the location, the weapons, the victim, and the shock. So let's start with the final girl. According to Clover, this is a direct quote. Love it. Mm. She is the one who encounters the mutilated bodies of her friends and perceives the full extent of the preceding horror and of her own peril, who is chased, cornered, wounded, whom we see scream, stagger, fall, rise, and scream again. She is abject terror personified. If her friends knew they were about to die only seconds before the event, the final girl lives with the knowledge for long minutes or hours. She alone looks death in the face, but she alone finds the strength either to stay the killer long enough to be rescued or to kill him herself. But in either case, from 1974 on, the survivor figure has been female. Yeah. So why does the final girl survive? Why? Because she didn't commit the sin of premarital sex. Ugh. Yeah. So she was chased and quick on her feet, literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, but what about the other five parts of a slasher? Mm -hmm. Let's start with the killer. So the killer is usually male and generally depicted as, quote, sexually disturbed. Uh, they're the person that punishes the sinners. Yeah. But they can't survive because they too are transgressing, you know, with the murder. Sinning. Uh-huh. And the killer is usually an outsider of sorts and often has some supernatural element that basically makes him unstoppable. Like, how does he follow a window and keep going? And then this also leads into the franchising element about it. The franchise right. is about the killer, not the victims. Yeah. The final girl and other supporting characters might be there too, but the killer is the crucial connecting thread between the films. Yeah, if it was a different killer each time, that'd it, be it wouldn't, fuck wild. It, it wouldn't really work. It wouldn't be the franchise. Like, it would just be, <laughs> man, that girl's got bad luck. Like, yeah. <laughs> sucks to suck, man. Oh, damn. So next up is the weapon. In the classical period, it is almost always some sort of blade. It cannot be too high tech. It's never a gun. If it's not a knife or an axe. Digital gun. <laughs> Digital gun. Digital knife. <laughs> it's, it's a touch screen. Uh -huh. I'll ruin your life with one click. <laughs> so if it's not a knife, it's an axe or it's a hammer. Yeah, yeah. It's a blade of some sort. A chainsaw? Mm. No, because he barely uses it. Yeah. But that is like a cutting edge. Right. That is the most technologically advanced of most of the slasher weapons. Cutting edge technology. Oh god. Hey, air horn noises. <laughs> <laughs> take that, Kate. <laughs> I don't know take why I'm down a peg. Not at you, but <laughs> take it, yeah. Yeah. 
So moving on from weapons. No. (laughs) I appreciate you. Uh, Next up is the location or horrible place as Clover describes it. Right. This is where the horror occurs. So the nightmare rooms in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The cabin in the woods in Cabin Cabin in the the Woods. woods. And the Evil Dead. Cabin Uh, in the Woods. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we've already tangentially talked about the victims, which is another element. They're people that flout conservative norms. They sin against good old-fashioned values, and they're punished by the killer. So the last element is the shock, and that's really just the sudden violence. How quickly a party turns into a bloodbath. Yeah. And remember, this is the blueprint for the classical period. What happened after the 80s? Yeah. Well, it turns out that when every film uses the same formula, people can predict what happens, and they get bored. No way. Yeah. Who would have guessed? So enter the postmodern period. Uh, The author... Petritus does say that this may be more of like a transitional period mm-hmm. instead of a distinct era. But um, anyway, I'll get into the definition of modernity and postmodernity. Uh, I, again, am going to put the article in the show notes because their definition is truly gorgeous. Uh, but I'm going to give a short version. So modernity is a period started around the 17th century and ending at World War II. Okay. The general vibe of this time was hopeful because of growth and technological advancement. It was Ooh. like, we're going up. To those in high-resource nations, it seemed like things were getting more stable and fair over time. Yeah. Post-modernity <laughs> refers to the period after, oh. where people got a little jaded, were more skeptical, we don't have faith in the inherent goodness of progress. Mm-hmm. So if modernity is optimism, pe- post-modern... Oh. <laughs> that was... Got it. I can do this. <laughs> it's not going to be another distress call. <laughs> so... If modernity is optimism, postmodernism is pessimism. Okay. Very simple examination of it. Yeah, yeah, But listen, we do have to get to the stabbing part, so. I guess. Read more about it in the notes. So postmodernity is rife with parody and pastiche Mm -hmm. and pointing out, like, how foolish our optimism was or how archaic our norms used to be. Yeah. The postmodern horror period, therefore, is when horror gets really meta and wryly intertextual in the 90s. Many people say that Scream is the first postmodern horror movie. But the author of this article says that Wes Craven's New Nightmare in 94 was the first. Oh, okay. Uh, however, it wasn't nearly as successful commercially. So right. that's why people point to Scream. Yeah. Because Wes Craven's New Nightmare basically has the villain come out of the movie into the real world and okay. engage with people. Like, So it kind of breaks that fourth wall down. Right. And so that could be read as like intertextuality. It could be read as being like self-aware, that sort of thing. But it was just not as successful as Scream. And so everyone's right. like, oh, Scream did the thing. Because I've heard of it, but I've seen Scream. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So Scream directly calls out slashers of the classical period. Randy explains the rules of surviving a horror movie when he tells them the commandments. The characters reference specific films like Halloween. Mm-hmm. And their tagline of the movie is, someone has taken their love of scary movies one step too far. Moreover, it directly flies in the face of established conventions. Most notably that Sydney is the final girl who lives because she's a fucking fighter, not because she never fucked. She has sex, and she still gets to live. The dream. The dream, yeah. (laughs) I mean. Postmodern films don't entirely abandon horror staples and tropes, but it's self-aware. It calls them out, and then it plays with them. Yeah, like you were listing them off before, and you Mm -hmm. know, all of the things Scream does is just the opposite. And I was like, oh, okay, I see what you did there, Scream. Yeah, we're going to get into the difference between lampshading and subverting later in tropes. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it's very exciting what they do with tropes. Yeah. So then after postmodern horror comes mm-hmm. the neo-slasher period, but I'm saving that for when we have a neo-slasher film. Right, okay. <laughs> because it's really intense, like the period of the 2000s. Oh, I'm, right. Oh, God. The yeah. cultural tensions that led to certain yeah. like anxieties 
really fucking intense and it's not actually relevant to this film that was made before then yeah so i'm gonna save it for when we actually have one of those eventually we will yeah and anyway i wanted to dig into what the classical period was fueled by to be able to pinpoint how scream came to be yeah and how it influenced the subgenre mm-hmm. because it's like seen as revitalizing the slasher yeah just subgenre entirely because people were so fucking tired of it and then it's like but what if we say what the audience is thinking. What if we point out all of our flaws and then subvert them or right. shade them? Like, what if we combine humor in this way? And it's just, it's the same reason I love Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, it's very tongue-in-cheek and it knows what mm-hmm. it's doing, which is yep. fun. But That's yeah. why I enjoy it so much. I thought it was really interesting to see, like, the um, uh, shift of the final girl over time. Mm-hmm. So, like, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre to Halloween – you do have a drift from like passively survives to actively survives. Right. Where it's yeah. like she just gets lucky versus she is the maker of her own fate type thing. Right. But then you also do have the switch where like in the 80s, people had to be punished for transgressing. And then in the 90s, they were like, isn't it fucked that we said that you had to be right. punished for this? <laughs> Can you believe we all did that? Yeah, that's so long ago last year. <laughs> so yeah, that's society from God. the 80s and 90s. That's so cool. That's all of the 80s and 90s. I summarized two decades. You did it. Thank you nailed you. it. Didn't miss a beat. Anyway, I was feeling very grateful for that essay. That's really cool. Yeah. I definitely want to read it. I love our extension notes. You put so many good things there. Thank you. Uh, that was great. I mean, it's funny because like I knew what it was doing, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. It's like subverting all these tropes and stuff. But I couldn't really pinpoint exactly what until you read all of them off. And I was like, oh, yeah, it did this. And then mm-hmm. it did that. Because even like you said about how all the kills are sudden and like scary. And this one, they're really drawn out and really kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Like in the garage where she fucking throws beer bottles or whatever at him. And mm-hmm. he's just like, oh, come on. And he just keeps yeah. chucking it. One That's of my great. favorite things is that like in Halloween, like mm-hmm. he's unstoppable. Like he falls out the window and then he right. keeps going. But in this, it's like he literally trips. She throws beer at him. He's like, ooh. And like all these things where it is fallible and it oh, is yeah. human. He's not supernaturally no, like it's one skilled. of my favorite. It's one of my favorite killers of all time, just oh, because yeah. it is two bumbling idiots. They really captured what would it be like if two teenage boys were like, "I'm gonna be a murderer." Yeah. Like, because <laughs> listen, sorry, I don't want to be you know, just want to generalize, but a lot of teen boys are. <laughs> So ridiculous. Their brains aren't done cooking. They're not done cooking. And boy, they captured that in this. It was great. They were just like, I have no motive. And then Which, it, oh my they God. They stab each other before killing her. They should have I, They should have killed her and then stabbed each other. No, stop laughing. Yeah. They were like, cool, we'll get you in a minute. We need to stab each other. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? Yep. One of my favorite things that I read about the two killers, which we'll get to. I mm. mean, I almost said spoiler alert. And I was like, listen, if you haven't watched the movie and you're here, what are you doing? This movie's 25 years old. Get on it, guys. Get yeah. on it. Um, but the killers are, are two sweet boys. Not really sweet. Mm, they're not sweet. Uh, <laughs> I know Billy. What is the other one? Uh, Stu. Stu. Billy and Stu. Good. Uh, so our two Murray boys, what they wanted to do is they wanted to give them two different motives because mm-hmm. they were like, wouldn't it be so scary if like someone just didn't have a motive and they were just a murderer? Mm-hmm. And then somebody else was like, okay, but like, it's also really scary when a killer does have a really yep. distinct motive and it ties into the backstory. Mm-hmm. So someone was like, well, we have two killers. Why don't we just do both? Yeah. So they did. And it's really cool. Ugh, I love Stu it. Stu has no motive. He's just along for He's the ride. Like, I'm so sensitive. It was peer pressure, like just joking. He's just oh, like, yeah. I just want to fucking fuck he shit up. He literally just wanted to kill. Yeah. And then Billy's just like, oh no, I'm pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. I read about that. 
And I obviously I remember it happening in the movie and I thought, oh, that's neat. And then I realized that, that was a very distinct choice. Very cool. Yeah. I I really like this movie. I <laughs> didn't take a ton of notes because I was so excited to watch it again because mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in so long. Um, so yeah, let me, let me pull up my notes, which again, we're... Uh, Texas Beach. <laughs> yes. So it's going to be... Nope, speech to text. <laughs> yeah, at first I was like, yeah, sure. I checked sure, it, sure. and then it speaks to me. <laughs> uh, okay. So, okay, okay, okay. We're starting off hot. We start off hot with this Drew Barrymore scene, which I love her. Do you want to know? I'm oh, sorry. Yes, what? I have what? a fun fact about Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah, tell me. Uh, America's Sweetheart. America's um, Sweetheart. So she saw the script. She asked them if she could be in it. Yeah. She was originally going to be Sydney. Oh. And then she got cast in something real big and was like, sorry, I can't do this. And so they put her at the beginning. And she's also wearing a wig. She's not actually oh, I know. blonde. Yeah. She but, wanted um, that wig specifically to look like, I can't remember who. I'll have to look I it up again. Remember. But she was like, I want this wig, please, so I can look like this woman. And they were like, yeah, whatever, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and Wes Craven originally passed on the script. And then he got like excited. Like he came and left a few times. But basically yeah. he was like, Drew Barrymore wants to be a oh. okay. <laughs> and he came back because Drew Barrymore makes me heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. That's, oh. Yeah. I, I love Drew Barrymore. Yes. Um. But Drew Barrymore, my sweet girl, mm-hmm. she's, you know, on the phone, which I want to bring house phones back because mm. I just want like a cool house phone. Yeah. Um, but she's on the phone and she's making popcorn and nothing stresses me out like stovetop popcorn. Yeah. Because what, it's just, you can't, I don't know. You have to it's keep delicious. an eye on it. If you have to look at it. If you're making it like a walk with a lid, that's one thing. But if you're making it in that little jiffy pop thing that just pops open. Jiffy Pop, I get it. Mm-hmm. But it scares me. So my very first note for the movie is, take the popcorn off the stove or you're going to have two problems, girl. Because <laughs> I was so worried. She's on the phone and she's like, oh my God, I'm going to be murdered. And then I'm also looking and I'm like, yeah, but the stove is also on fire. And she like reaches out for it to remove oh it. But then God. she gets so distracted by she, what he said. And I was like, no. She reaches for that fucking Jiffy Pop twice. And I'm fire like, hazard just do first. It. Just take it off. Just put it in the sink. Uh-huh. And then her parents yeah. come home and they're like, oh no, where's our daughter? Also, oh, the Jiffy Pop. And I was like, if one of you doesn't take that off the stove, I swear to God. Mm-hmm. The mom does and she just like dumps in the sink, turns in the water and then runs. I was like, okay, so I respect what you're doing because... I was like, fine. Yeah. Fine. I was just so upset because listen, if I was being chased by a murderer, the last thing I want is also a fire. Yeah. <sighs> So that killed me. Yeah. <laughs> Which that also happens in The Conjuring, or not The Conjuring, but um, Annabelle or whatever. Yeah. It's a good way of ramping up tension because yeah. the audience is so focused on so many things right. happening. And like, the idea of burning popcorn, I think, is just ingrained in our souls as bad. Right. Well, because one, like, the smell yeah. is so intense. Ugh. And two, the sound is very, yeah. it's a lot for your brain. You get overstimulated. Yeah. Let alone, like you said, a ton of stuff happening. So I understood why I did it, and it was totally, totally um, effective. Effective because mm-hmm. I was anxious. Yes, the whole time. I know that her boyfriend was stabbed. I know that she's being murdered and chased. But in my head, I was like the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> there was this. It wouldn't. It wouldn't leave. It permeated my poor little brain, and I was like, "Please get the popcorn." popcorn so very good. Permeation start. is a go. Popcorn permeation. <laughs> so yeah, I. Very effective beginning. I do. I loved it. I loved the um, trivia. I love how she gets mm. it right. And she's like, I've seen that movie like four times, asshole. Yeah. And he's like, then you would now. And I'm like, oh, God, he got her there. Like, <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> or like an answer where there isn't a correct answer, depending on which film you're talking about. It was just 
really cool. I liked it a lot. And then this is my second note of the whole movie is look at that lime green power suit. <laughs> Incredible. Are you talking about Gail Weathers? Oh my God, of course I'm talking about Gail Weathers. And yeah. she was great. Um, I love that suit. Fucking lime green. Mm-hmm. Good thing they didn't. She wasn't a weathered person because like she'd be fucked. But <laughs> <laughs> um, fun fact also about Courtney Cox is that she really wanted to play this part. Um, they had her auditioning for like other parts too. And at the time she was in Friends uh, and she was like, please let me play Gail Weathers. She wants like, to be mean. Right. And they were like, no, you're too nice. And she was like, I can be a bitch. She said she specifically wanted to be a bitch because she wanted to go out for roles that would like break her out of that sweetheart thing that she had from mm-hmm. Friends. So she had to beg and beg. And finally she did it. She was great. Yeah. I mean, Courtney Cox is incredible in this. Yeah. You get two final girls. And a final Dewey. And a final other guy. You get a lot of finals, but... Oh, final Dewey. Final Dewey. I love Dewey. <laughs> he was one of the funniest parts of this movie. And I know that's intentional, but, like, his moments of just, like, when he picks up the phone, hello. He was... <laughs> broke me. I have so many good facts about the cast. He was actually supposed to be Billy. Yeah. Um, He was gonna be Billy, but then he was like, actually, is it okay if I read for Dewey? Mm-hmm. And Dewey in the script is originally described as hunky. And he was like, me? Mm-hmm. Um, but Wes Craven let him do it anyway. He's like, sure, you don't fit the description, but let's get in here. And he said he was just so heartwarming yeah. and sweet the way he did it that he was like, yeah, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. And they nailed it. I mean, every person in this film, I think, is cast perfectly. Oh, yeah. Tatum was originally supposed to be a tomboy, but then she like she... lobbied hard for the like cloud pajamas yep. and turned into more of a girly girl. Yeah, they like... Everybody had their own little, like, personality, and none of them were out of place. No. Everyone had their own... I don't know. It just worked really well. It did. And nobody was, like, a trope of a character either, though, mm. sort of, in a way. Like, she was a girly girl, but she also was kind of rough around the edges and cool, and yeah, nobody seemed stuck in a character. Yeah. It was cool. I don't know. Because, like, um, God, I can't remember anybody's name. Sydney is, you know, the final girl, and she's really tough. But she's also very soft and sweet in the yeah. beginning. So no one is trapped within a personality in yeah. this. And I like that. Stu is funny. Scared the shit out of me in this movie. Yeah. <sighs> Matthew Lillard. So talented. The man, the myth, the legend, Shaggy. He's here. I was watching um, a TikTok the other day of Matthew Lillard consoling a <gasps> oh, child at a voice. con. Yeah. And I was just like, Matthew Lillard, if you would just like look at me and smile i would melt he's just so sweet i i was really excited to watch this because i remember him being in it and i i remember being like okay how scary is he i know he's a bad guy but how scary he scared the shit out of me yes he does a good good job of being funny and like likable but then it turns on you so fast Mm -hmm. because he's kind of just a regular shithead for a while um also, did you notice this? This really creeps me out. Is Sydney related to the principal or is he just a fucking creep? Oh, I think he's just a fucking creep. Thank you. Yeah. Because there's that part. The way he touches her chin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. She walks in and they're like, this is Sydney, daughter of, and they don't say, which is a great way to be like, something happened. Mm-hmm. We don't know what yet at this point, but they keep alluding to something, which is a cool way to be like, ooh, what's her story? But yeah, the principal just like touches her chin and I'm like, Ew gross they do such a good job of making him seem like the killer yeah (laughs) it's a blast to watch because first he does the creepy chin thing and then he has the scissors and And he has the scissors kids and he has a lot of these little moments and then he he dies and everyone's like oh shit (laughs) i can imagine if you were seeing this for the first time you'd be like oh oh, it's a principal yeah (laughs) fucking got him Mm. it's not um yeah uh 
<laughs> I, I, I wrote this down because it reminded me of you and I when we did American Werewolf in London mm. and you confidently said, did you clock the dick? I, I wrote that in my notes. And I said, no. And I said, I can't believe that. I always clock the dick. And I was so mad at myself. And then at this, <laughs> Tatum says, if you pause it just right, you can see his penis. And I said, okay. So it's not just us that. <laughs> yeah, no, I wrote it in my notes. Tatum knows how to clock the dick. <laughs> and I said, that's us trying to clock the dick in Werewolf in London. <laughs> I just, and it, not to be gross. I didn't want to see a dick. I just wanted the proof that yes, they had a dick in the movie. Yeah. It's very funny. Yes. Also, because Dewey is kind of bumbling and um, the whole police department is kind of bad, I just said, finally, an accurate portrayal of cops. Incredible. Finally. I mean, (laughs) Uh, they also had some very subtle Dunkin' Donuts product placement at the cop. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I saw that. (laughs) I thought that was uh, very funny. Um, Also, Billy's obviously a piece of shit from the very beginning. Yes. So I wondered how long, I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be like a, you know how they trick you into being like, oh, he's probably definitely the bad guy. And then he gets stabbed in, you know, the end area. And you're like, oh my God, he wasn't this whole time. Is that, I'm assuming he's shitty for a reason. So he has to be. I'm of many opinions on this. Okay. So basically I watch it and I... Like, even before I knew that Billy was the bad guy, I fucking hate Billy because he's trying to pressure into he, sex. Yeah, he's nasty. And, like, he's just guilting her into it. Mm-hmm. And then he also is just like, it's been a year. Shouldn't you be over the oh violent my God, death I of know. your mother? So, like, first of all, he just sucks on, like, a basic level of, like, right. not understanding trauma. Then he sucks on trying to guilt his partner into sex. That's, like, a big Disgusting. thing. I'm like, no, fuck you. And then he also sucks on the level of being, like, all puppy dog pouty with her. And yeah. then... Being very sinister to Randy at the Ugh. video store. God, that's and creepy. And so there are so much, like, they do so many, like, subversions or reverse, or they do that yeah. so intentionally where Randy says, everyone's a suspect. And you're like, okay, well, it's got to be Billy. It can't be Billy. That's too obvious. It's got to be Billy. Oh, I guess it wasn't so Billy. So many times. Yeah. They do such a great job. They use our knowledge like, against us. They do. This is one of the few movies where I just couldn't pay attention to, like, cinematography and lighting because I was just so enthralled at being like these characters this movie just relies so heavily on its actors and its characters and how they're written and everything and they did a great job yeah something that also like separates the classical from postmodern is like the character development oh cool yeah hell yeah because like everyone like i said they're not trapped within a personality which happens in some movies where Mm. it's like they give them one shtick and they're like that's who you are yeah it's kind of Obviously, it's not as horrible as this example, but this is what it always makes me think of is in Annabelle when Mm. the main character is in a wheelchair and that is like her defining trait. Or Franklin, that being his defining trait. And it's just so frustrating. And obviously, it's different because like that's just horrible. But they do that with so many characters too. Where they'll be like, oh, you're um, really trusting and that's all you get. Bye. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, people are more complex than that. Mm -hmm. And they did that. It was great. Um because I love Sydney is like really trusting at first of Billy. And then he is very suspicious in the night that, you know, he shows up when the murderer is there attacking her. And she's like, oh, fuck, it's definitely him. Mm-hmm. Then she feels bad and she has so many flip flops just like we do. And it's just great. Matthew Lillard, though, I kind of just, I could, I, 
Hmm. He seems so evil kind of from the very beginning, mostly just because he's uh, kind of creepy. <laughs> Honestly, he reminds me of so many dudes that I remember from middle school <gasps> no. and high school being just like shitty on purpose because yeah. it was edgy. Right. Like, and they were value. like, oh, like I'm just going to like creep you out. Oh, I'm going to say yeah. really violent things. Just be like edgy about it. And like it, he just rem- he also took it to another level, obviously. Right. But it reminded me so much of people that I have met. Right. That were just like, shitty. if I say something shocking, it'll get everyone's attention. Yeah. And he does. He does throughout the whole thing. Like, once Drew Barrymore's character is murdered, they just, you know, Sydney's obviously not doing well. And he just keeps making jokes and being gross and saying- Leave her alone. Yeah. That part did- I hate him, but he did get me when he was just like, liver, liver, liver. It's liver. Guys, it's a joke. He just kept- (laughs) Him explaining the joke so many times fucking killed me. Because at first I'm like, that's so dis- Oh, it's so gross. I can't believe it. He goes, liver, come on. Yeah. (laughs) They got me. It was funny. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's scary from the very beginning. Yeah. But it's, again, you don't know if it's like, is this misleading? Am I supposed to be like, oh, of course it's Too him. obvious. Too obvious. Oh, they just, this movie's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, I couldn't pay attention to anything other than the characters. All of my notes are just on the characters and all the things they did. Like, Tatum. Tatum's mm. great because she's such a good friend. Yeah. But she's also... She doesn't really believe Sydney that much either about her mom. And, yeah. Well, it's, but she does it in a better way. Like her and Gail yeah. are very much in a similar like. She kind of believes what Gail is saying, but she knows that Gail went about it in a shitty way, yes. and she's like, "I, I don't like Gail." Yeah. And she's very much like, "I will publicly always be on your side, right. but I'm going to push you on things that I think you need to be yes. pushed on." And it wasn't like they're like, oh, I'm just going to be like always good to your face and always agree with you. And then behind your back talk shit. Like that's how sometimes the really pretty friend gets It's always portrayed. Yeah. Yeah. And so in this case, it was like, no, she has complexity where she is going to fucking stick up for Sydney no matter what. Right. But then she will call Sydney on things that she thinks she's not actually looking at. And I love that. Like I said, she had so much depth more so than just being like the hot friend who's just all about the boys and blah, blah, blah. She had so much more to her, which is great. Um, but yeah, the way that she sticks up for her and is so into her punching Gail. But then literally like two scenes later, she's like, hey, I, I do kind of think maybe you need to think about some things. I yeah. don't think he did murder your mom, kind of. Yeah. Which I don't know if we've talked about that at all, but oh, Sydney's yeah. mother is murdered. Um, yes. I think a year before this happened. Yes, Almost exactly. like to the day. Yeah. yeah, it's like the whole point is it's like the anniversary. So her mother is murdered. Um, and she is pretty sure she has found the guy. Cotton Weary. Cotton Weary, yeah. Um, because she saw him leaving and it was it his ends, coat and his right. coat has blood on it. Like Right. And it ends up being like an affair that was genuine, actually just happening. It wasn't him. But that's all a thing. And Gail Weathers is like writing a book to be like, no, here's all the reasons you're wrong, Sydney. But she's kind of the worst about it. Uh-huh. Oh my god, when she was like When'd your book come out? And she goes, oh, soon. I can give you a copy. Bam. Oh, punches her right in the face. Mm -hmm. Love it. (laughs) I like that Dewey likes her from the very beginning and never really stands up for (laughs) Sydney. Like, no no reason he should have to, I guess, really. But (laughs) he cracks me up because he's just so oblivious. So oblivious. And he gets away with it because he's just kind yeah but it's still not an endearing quality to be oblivious to other people's pain no. and so it's like i don't want to like dewey but because i don't think this is enviable behavior but because no. like he's obviously he's t- uh, peyton peyton tatum tatum 
He is Tatum's brother. So, you know, he knows Sydney. He knows everything she's been through. And he knows that Gail has made her life hell. And he'll be like, oh, wow, you, you really punched her. Like, he's kind of on Sydney's side. But then the minute he sees Gail, he's like, oh, so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> he just has no alliance. He truly is just a bumbling, beautiful idiot. Yeah. He's just so sweet. Yeah. If they're, Ugh. like, the alignment chart has, you know, like, chaotic, neutral, chaotic, good, he's just, like, neutral, stupid, you know? Or, like, yeah. good, stupid. <laughs> neutral, good, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stupid, neutral, good. Chaotic, yeah. good, stupid. I don't he's know. He's a lot of them, but stupid's there. Yeah. Let's be clear. There's one through line, and it's yeah. stupid. It, it, he cracked me up the whole movie, because he also has depth, but in a different... I don't know how to explain it. It's like, he is consistent throughout the whole movie, he doesn't have as much of a surprise as some of the other characters do, but he's still competent at the end. Yeah. Enough to live. Yeah. Basically. Like, he seems like the kind of person who would be so kind and so bumbling that he would either die because one, he's yeah. stupid, or two, he's kind enough that he would put himself in front of someone else and die. He keeps trying is like the yes. defining trait of Dewey is like, even if he's not very good at what he's doing, he's right. going to keep trying until he can't anymore. Best example of he's going to keep trying is when he's in the road and there are cars coming at him. And he just goes, stop. stop. And I'm like, buddy, can they, they can't hear you move. And I'm like, boy, he really will put his all into it. Won't he? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, oh my God. Also, just to throw this out there, because I can't stop thinking about it, the sexual tension between Matthew Lillard and anyone he puts his head on in the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every time someone had an open shoulder, he was like, ah, for me. And he would just put his <laughs> chin on there. And I was like... It's like Bruce Campbell in bookshelves. <laughs> <laughs> just drawn to them. Yeah. Moth then, to a flame. Oh, my God. It's just... Every time he put his, I was like, kiss him. Like, <laughs> I, like I knew he was a murderer and I knew that he wasn't going to do it. But I was like, but what if he did? No, what if he did? <laughs> he does that little ear wiggle with his friend. And mm -hmm. I was like, stop. <laughs> I was doing the Tyler Gaga glove. I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. <laughs> he was just, Ugh. yeah. Why was he so horrible and yet so sexy? <laughs> Chaotic evil has a way of doing that, you know? It does. Because he was also an idiot. Mm. Let's get back to my actual notes before I like... <laughs> I just had to get that out off my chest. Of it course, was haunting yeah. me. I had to just say it. Um, I said I love that everyone looks a little bit guilty. Mm. Um, which is really cool. I mean, we already talked about it. Um, they and then I said they really go hard on the principle, though. Like, the most, hmm. it seems like, for a while. Not the most, but I would say everyone else is a little more subtle and a little more flip-flop. And I think maybe because he dies so early, they went mm. so hard with his, with the like stabbing with the, the scissors. And I was like, okay, they're really go And then he dies immediately. So yeah, perhaps that is why. <laughs> and then I wrote Matthew Willard is so hot. Mm. <laughs> the Freddy Krueger janitor. Very funny. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, we, we said that is Wes Craven, right? Wes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So ha ha ha. I mm. get it. It's a nod. Um, I, I don't know what I wrote this about but i wrote we've been tricked <laughs> bamboozled we were tricked so many times that i don't know why i, don't I wrote know it once what was it nested between the freddy krueger janitor and i love that you can see the mask in his eye it is a high. It is. A high. Oh, I know what it is. Yes. He closed a door and you thought that there was going to be Ghostface behind it, but it wasn't. And then a different door that he closed, Ghostface was behind. Oh, okay. Yeah. To yeah. me, I wrote down that every time there was a closet door that was closed and there wasn't right. a murderer behind, I was like, oh, they got me. Right. 
So yeah, that had to be it. But whose eye did you see the ghost face in? There's a really cool shot. I don't remember which kill it is or who it is that dies, but there's a part where Ghostface kills somebody and you they zoom in really close on like the person's eye yeah. and you can just barely see Ghostface. I in thought it his was eye. the principal, but I could be wrong. I think you're right. I think it's a principal. Why else would it be like messed up there? But I, I think it is. Um This was really funny. I I hope I'm not saying it wrong and I hope she actually said this. But she's talking about it's a uh, I've said her name a million fucking times. Tatum or Sydney? Tatum! Yeah. I keep wanting to call her Peyton. Well, yeah. I don't know why. They're similar in vibe. <sighs> yeah, so Tatum is talking about horror movies with, you know, the other woman. Sydney! Stop, oh. I got this. I got this. <laughs> I have trouble when names are um, names. So yeah. Tatum is talking about horror movies. She's talking about something. And she says, Wes Carpenter. <laughs> I lost my goddamn. I put it in all caps. Wes Carpenter question mark like, exclamation you know, point. One of those Wes Carpenter movies, and I, I was like, my sweet child. I laughed. I loved it. And then they make the joke about like the sequels of one of Wes Craven's movies not being good. Yes. And he like was not like there. It's kind of funny because he was afraid that joke was too mean. Yeah. Because he wasn't the only like head of like the sequel. It's yeah. like he. I don't remember exactly the role, but, like, he wasn't the director. Right. Or he was, like, co-directing. So it was, like, someone else's baby. And he was, like, no one's too mean to poke fun at it. But then it was, like, oh, no, it's partially mine, too. That's fine, then. <laughs> yeah. I just, I loved that so much. Um, also, this part really confused me. But there's a part right before um, the party. They've put, like, the curfew in, mm. you know, to be, like, hey, don't fucking go outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to the grocery store to get stuff. And they go to the grocery store and Ghostface is just at the store behind them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who's working? Who's working at the store? A teenager not getting paid enough. Uh, fair enough. True. It was almost curfew. He was like, I gotta go wrap it up, girls. Mm-hmm. But that part made me laugh so hard because they just cut to behind them and he's just looking at them mm-hmm. buying ice cream. I was like, yep. what? Who's here? Who is watching him? Just look at them. What are you doing? And when he's like <laughs> running through rooms, he doesn't look slick. Oh, He just not at looks all. like push, push. Like, Which, I mean, it just goes to it's show perfect. you. It's perfect. It's truly teenage boys. Yeah. Of course a teenage boy would put on a, put on a fucking mask and the, the murderer's outfit and just go to the grocery and be like, I'm going to get him soon. <laughs> like, I'm going to get real good. You can't just gawk at people. In a costume that a murderer has been wearing and think, I'll get away with this. But then Apparently he you can. Well, teenage boys get away with a lot. Yeah, so. they do. Meh. Um, that, so I had the killers just hanging out at the grocery store. And then my last note for some reason is, um, I love that the camera in the house that, you know, Gail Weathers has put, mm-hmm. she just set it on top of the VCR mm-hmm. and thought she was being so slick. She like turns her back and hides it. And I'm like, it's huge. Mm-hmm. What are you... What but they're hiding? drunk teenagers. <gasps> I know. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. Love, he's in front of it, like, the whole movie. The one character with all the tropes. Stu. Not Stu. Sorry, Randy. Randy. And he's just... <laughs> I love Randy. Oh, I do love that they use that, though. Like, that's a super cool thing to be able to see those shots. And then, obviously, like, they're watching it in the van. But there's the 30-second delay. Mm-hmm. And they kept showing it. And they would show you what actually happened in the house. Then you'd show them watching it. And you'd be like, oh, I already saw this. And then it finally comes into play. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, just third. And then he gets stabbed. Yep. Oh, that part grosses me out. Gail's cameraman. Kenny. Kenny is in the van and just 
he's like, oh, the 30 second delay opens the thing and just Yelp. I think it's the fastest kill. Probably, yeah. Like, it feels like the fastest, <laughs> most deliberate one. And also just the only one that seemed um, not well planned, but uh, it went well, surprisingly, yeah. for being dumb teenagers. <laughs> yeah. He's the only one that didn't kick the shit out of him on the way. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else seems to give him at least a fight. Yeah. At <laughs> least the women tend to give him a bit of a fight. Right. All the men are just like, oh, oh man, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> you sure are. Yeah. Uh, but that that's all the notes I had because I was so focused on the characters. Yeah. I had one note on like camera angles and it was the angles because yeah, like, you know yeah. how we talked about like the Dutch tilt and stuff? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in this film, they, uh, I think it's when Casey, Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. American Sweetheart, is getting murdered. They like tilt the camera to like show something is wrong. Like, oh, yeah. And then there's a drunk tilt when uh, – Randy is drunk and oh. Ghostface is coming up behind him and right. about to stab him. And so they do this a few times where oh, the camera cool. is tilted to the side. Right. So that it's unnerving to and also like, like it's pretty exaggerated. And oh, I thought cool. it was really fun. Uh, I, t- I typed in all caps, the angels. <laughs> the angels. <laughs> because I can't type. I could be your angle or your angel. <laughs> oh, oh my God. angle, baby. <laughs> Oh, this movie's so 90s. And then I have uh, the reporter at the school who's like, they were involved in satanic rituals. I'm like, oh, a nod to the satanic panic. Like, that's another, like, very aware of the time. Tatum knows how to clock the dick. We already talked about the clock dick. Uh, The power of a good denim jacket. Oh, okay. So Sydney is wearing a denim jacket when she's, you know, escaping and stuff. And one of the times Ghostface stabs her, it looks like the denim jacket takes most of the blow. (laughs) And so... I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I realized, no, she really did get stabbed quite a bit, but it looks like the denim was very powerful. Uh, That's strong denim, man. And then climbing fences is good for the soul. Uh, and legs are your friend. Never skip leg day. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> because they use so much leg strength in this film. They really do. And I love it. There's so many good kicks and runs. and <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I also have, like, you know, real notes about, like, using echoes to really hammer in on isolation but you know the other things are very important i know uh, i i wanted to take like better notes but i was just so into this movie and into the people in it i couldn't focus on anything they were just so funny every time they said cellular telephone oh i God. died <laughs> uh I, you would think i didn't pay attention to any of the characters considering i forgot their names a million times I, I don't forget her name. I just think that her name is Peyton. Okay. Tatum. <laughs> Tatum. Uh, One of these days I'll get it. So I have three Tatum notes in a row. Oh, beautiful. Uh, so it's when she's talking to Sydney and she's like, Billy and his penis don't deserve you. And I'm just like, <laughs> you get him, Tatum. And then uh, she goes to the garage to get the beer. And he's oh, like, right. of course her nips are out. She's a goddess. And then... <laughs> Next one is Tatum is a glorious human, undone by her tits in the end because she's stuck in the door. Yeah. I love that people always use that picture of her in the garage on the phone with those hard nips Mm -hmm. as like, how excited are you for Halloween? And then it shows that photo and I'm like, (laughs) yes, I am that excited. I am, yes. (laughs) I love, I love Tatum. She cracked me up. And she was just so like, 
She always just was so mean to the killer in the garage. I couldn't stop laughing because I was like, Don't kill me. I want to be in the sequel. Don't kill me. And in my head, I forgot that she dies. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking that she made it. And I was like, oh, yeah, she makes it. And then when she said that, I went, that's so funny because she's in the sequel. And then she died. And I went, I am wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember now. Oh, she would have been great. I can tell where I stopped taking notes because it's when um, Billy realizes that Sydney has gotten away from him while he was distracted. Oh, right. And he's on a raging rampage through the house. And he starts just, like, tearing up the couch. I'm like, yeah, because she's probably hiding into the couch. And then I just said, he's feathered. (laughs) Hee-hee. All over his hands because he had blood all over his hands and then he got feathers. And so he's just walking around with like feathered hands. (laughs) That was the end scene. They had a name for it. I I can't remember like Mm. of that big long scene. They said it was really hard Mm. because I think they had not for this one scene, but for the whole movie, I believe they had like 40 gallons of fake blood. Oh shit. Um, And like it was really hard because they had to film it um, at night. So, obviously, once the sun came up at all, they had to stop. Yeah. So, it took a long time to get this scene right. And the actors were always just tired, covered in blood, cold. The blood would dry at a certain point, too. So, that would be uncomfortable. So, this scene was just so hard. And then he gets feathered. And I'm like, oh, my God. How long did they have to be like, just keep wearing your feathers? Like (laughs) You're a feather boy now. you're, You're a feather boy now. How long did he have to wear those little feathers? So this scene is my favorite scene in the whole movie, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're all good, but this one's so wild. When they stab each other, mm. I, co- one, couldn't stop laughing, but two, I was also just like, this is great. This is just so, of course they are. Mm-hmm. Of course they're this Of course stupid, they are. And they're going to be their own downfall. Yeah. And also Sydney's tough as fuck. Yeah. But when he's like, okay, now stab me. And he goes, ow. Ugh, like, <laughs> he's still, Stu's just trying to be so like, it's okay. I'm good. <laughs> He stabs him, like, again, and then he's like, okay, maybe stop. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you cut me really deep, man. Really deep. He always sounds whiny, and it cracks me yeah. up. Yeah. When he's just, like, walking around, and he's like, <clears throat> and he's just spitting blood. And he's like, oh, I think I'm hurt, man. Yup. I'm feeling kind of woozy, <laughs> man. Everything was man. Yup. <laughs> um, also, fun fact, my friend Andrew told me this at work. Um, the part where he throws the phone... He wasn't trying to hit Stu. <laughs> he was just trying to like throw it. But in the last minute, he was like, Whoa! and he threw it and he hits Stu, right? Where does he hit him? Like, he, he really gets him. He decks him with this phone. And Matthew Lillard, being the sweet angel that he is, was like, I'm going to stay in character. So he gets hit and he just goes, You hit me with the fucking phone, man. <laughs> So that was improv. I thought that was r- okay. No, because they were like, well, we could stop. But Matthew was like, no. And he just kept going. And so they kept going because they were like, oh, well, okay. He seems cool with it. So yeah, he really smacked him with that phone. It was supposed to just go over his shoulder yeah. and like shatter or whatever. But no. <laughs> it, it seems perfectly in character. Right? It's like... Leo DiCaprio in whatever movie it was. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly like like that. (laughs) It's literally. So Matthew Lillard did it first, everybody. He Uh took a phone to the body. Yeah. He, I just, I, now that I know that's improv, it's even funnier. Oh yeah. Because everything has man at the end. He got hit with a phone and he still was like, well, whatever happens, I'm going to say man. (laughs) I just love him. Mm -hmm. He creeped me out the whole time. I, I say I don't know who to pick for my favorite character, like my MVP, oh. but I, I gotta say Stu or Tatum because mm. they're both so cool. Yeah. Poor Tatum, man. 
Tatum was like the character that I rally behind constantly, and yeah. Stu is the one that I think is so engaging that you can't look away ever. Yes, like if he's acting, you're watching. Yeah, like Billy is supposed to be. I don't want to say the main bad guy, yeah. sort of, but he has more of the backstory. He is the alpha in that relationship. Yes. Yeah, it's like intertwined with Sydney, so of course it feels more important. You know, mm-hmm. but Stu was just so wild to watch. I think him not having a motive made him more interesting. Yeah. And also just how he's played by Matthew Lillard is so good because he's unsettling while still being a dumb teenage boy, like I said, the whole time. But he does it extra. I don't know. There's mm-hmm. just something so creepy about the way he is. Yeah. And I want to, I know that you're not. I just want to make it clear to listeners, we're not glorifying the oh, violence God, no. that they wrought. We just think that Matthew Lillard is an incredible actor. Yeah, what I'm saying is if I ever met somebody who actually acted like Matthew Willard does in this movie, they would scare the shit out of me. Jesus Christ, no. I could not. He does an amazing job. Run, not walk. (laughs) Yeah, fuck no. Like, I, uh uh-uh. He just did such a good job, and I applaud his performance. Yes. But if anyone was like that in real life, don't fucking go near me. No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one, because I think he'll murder me, and two, just because freak me out mm. even if you weren't gonna murder me don't act like that it's like one of those people that just kind of like jockeys yeah, he, back and forth it's like i don't yeah. know which way you're gonna go he just he moved so dang much yeah. and he was so lanky and i don't know he can't catch me he, i was like oh he's coming for me <sighs> he's just he was a lot he was he had great like just physicality but mm. also just when he wasn't moving i was still creeped out this is gonna turn into matthew Lillard's like fan page if we're not careful well <sighs> Why not just lean into who we are? Now let's talk about Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trick. We all got you. Now it's a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> the live action. Don't be ridiculous. Mm. Sorry. Uh, are you ready for a scariest moment? I, I think so. I have to think. So if you have one, go first. But I think I, think I know which one I, I want. It comes down to me if it's between like a jump scare that got me or if it's like... A moment where I'm just full of dread. I have both if you want to do both. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a jump scare and like a moment that really scared me. Okay. So my both moments are very close together. One of them is the cat scare with Tatum in the garage. Oh, yeah. Where it's literally a cat that scares her shitless. And then it's Tatum dying in the garage because she, like, she played... You really think she's going to live. I really did. Because she is, like, smartly maneuvering. She's, like feisty as hell she's using her surroundings she's thinking but then you know because it's a slasher movie and she has to die she gets stuck in the cat door and yeah so to me it was just this dread because first of all i knew how it ended because i've seen this so many times but also like being so close to getting out and just being stopped like oh it was horrific oh that creeped me out um my jump scare moment that scared me is kenny's death yeah um because like I said, it's the fastest one. Because most of the deaths are kind of drawn out. Everyone kind of puts up a fight. But Kenny doesn't even get a chance. Mm-mm. He's just dead. Yeah. That creeped me out just because it's so fast. And mm-hmm. ugh, he was right behind him. And the 30 minute, like the 30 second delay, I knew it was going to come back. And I was like, oh man, it sucked. It sucked so bad. It really fucked him up. So that was my jump scare moment. And then the part that really creeps me out the most is actually at the very beginning um, when Drew Barrymore is on the phone, um, and like, it's, it's already like a kind of creepy, but she's still just kind of playing along. But then, uh, he says like, don't you dare hang up on me again, bitch. Or something yeah. like that. 
creep me out the way he says it the way their mm-hmm. voice is yeah. it's so creepy because it was playful and then it's like the rage of being denied what you want immediately that is like that terrifying male rage yes. <laughs> where yes. it's so That's fucking what it is. scary and it, yeah. it happens so quick that it creeps me out so yeah. bad because it that is unfortunately genuinely something that happens where it's just on immediately yeah. And it was just, she gets so upset and she's so taken aback by it that she doesn't know what to do. And it was just the start of the end for her. And it yeah. scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Because uh, I remember, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but for some reason, I remembered that scene the best. Mm-hmm. Like, I remembered it so well. After it was playing, I was like, oh, I was right. I remembered a lot of this. It's because it creeps me out the most. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And the popcorn. God, that popcorn. The popcorn, yeah. Ugh, the popcorn panic 2021 for me <laughs> it was the popcorn for me <laughs> well, it was popcorn for me yeah, yeah it really was but yeah those are my two okay. um it's a good movie yeah good are scary you, movie are you ready for tropes i'm so ready for tropes i've been ready for tropes <sighs> from the beginning where to begin though, i know i was okay so i pulled a few that i've just never talked about before okay. and then i wanted to talk about like lampshading subversion and deconstruction. Yeah, yeah, I've been excited about that. So there are a lot of ways tropes can be played with, and I think it's fun to look at how they choose mm-hmm. to play with them because they do different things. So right. like some of them were lampshaded for humor while others were subverted to keep us on our toes. But I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, first is just a random trope. The bathroom stall of overheard insults. <laughs> and for some reason, this really yeah. reminds me of the trauma swing, but they're not related. They're, they're not, not even like it's... second cousins. They could get married. No one would be worried. And... <laughs> I don't know why they're connected. But they should. They should. Yeah. They shouldn't get married, but they, they could. could. Uh, so bathroom solve <laughs> overheard insults. It's the classic. Oh. Uh, and then there's combat pragmatist. So it's they do whatever they have to in order to survive the fight. Like Auburn. Oh, had, hell yeah. What is it? A gun to a knife fight. That sort of thing. So yeah. after Sydney stabs Billy with the umbrella, she just shoves her fingers in there. Oh, she does. Oh, yeah. that's so gross. Mm-hmm. I hate when they do that in the movies. Yep. It happens more than you think. Grosses me out. You. <laughs> so this is where I have three different tropes to be as an example for each. Okay. So the lampshaded one. Lampshading is basically calling out something that's super unrealistic and could like test the audience's willing suspension of disbelief. Right. And so if you call attention to it, you're like, oh, wait, no, this is ridiculous. Right. And so it's not quite dead. Where it's like, and now's the moment where you think he's dead, but he comes back to life. And Billy oh, yeah. sits up and she's like, like not Whoa. my movie. <laughs> Shoots in the head. Yeah. So that was lampshaded. Great. And then there is death by sex, which is subverted oh, in this. Right, yeah. And I had to do a goog to remind myself of the difference. <laughs> a goog. Averted and subverted. And averted is basically like the trope was never invoked. It right. was just never meant never to trigger like that in your head. Okay. Where subverted means the trope was clearly set up to happen and then it didn't happen. Right. Because in this, they call it out. They say, if you have sex, you're going to fucking die. And then right. Sydney, like, more or less around the same time is like, well, I'm going to have sex now. <laughs> and she has sex and she lives. So that's a subverted trope. And right. that leads into the reconstruction of the final girl trope. Yeah. So in order to talk about reconstruction, we have to talk about deconstruction. Oh, yeah. And these are not um, – There was it was kind of interesting. The TV Tropes article like made sure to say this is not like academic parlance. This is just the way that TV Tropes talks about it. And it's like, yeah. are you afraid of professors coming for you? Like, <laughs> I know they're scary, but uh, – So a trope is said to be deconstructed when we pick it apart and follow it to a logical conclusion that mm-hmm. makes us take like a hard look of the implications of that trope if it were real. So, like, yeah. if this trope occurred in real life, what are the – what's the fallout that would happen right. from this trope occurring? And sometimes that is, like, the end of a trope because it's, like, all oh, this problematic as shit. Or sometimes it's, like, oh, if we follow it to the end, then it unravels itself. But 
sometimes it's reconstructed where we learn from the previous iteration and say, yeah, you're right. We had some issues to work out. Let's go round two. So the original final girl hinged on the purity myth and just more garden variety sexism. So they said, what if we allow the woman to have agency of her body and she doesn't die? <laughs> and it. so Sydney is a reconstructed final girl where yeah. it's not like this trope is totally redone. Everyone uses it this way now, but it's like a reconstruction of the original final girl trope that was right. very passive mm-hmm. or hinging on staying virginal. Right. And the bullshit purity myth. Huh. So yeah. Neato. Those are my tropes. And I like that we get, like you get, uh, Gail Waters too, is like a a sort of final girl. Sort. Because you think she's dead twice. Yeah. Uh, There are a few others that like, I just, I love the names of. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, So one of them is Morton's Fork. What is this? (laughs) It's like, if it's a scenario where you're given two choices and you're, they both fucking suck. And so it's like, we have, it's a game. If you get it wrong, oh, you right. die. If you get it right, cut bam, you die. That's a Morton's fork, apparently. <laughs> uh, there's five second foreshadowing, which is the, oh, like, yeah. guess what's going to happen? And then it happens. It's not like a long, yeah. <laughs> what if got him? <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, Chekhov's gun, which we talk about all the time. But right. this one, there were a ton of door-based guns. Oh, yeah. And uh, card-carrying villain, it's really just like driving home the point. They're bad. Uh, and then my favorite one ever is audible sharpness. And it's every time you see a fucking knife or scissors, it's like, ching, ching. I didn't even realize that. especially loud with the principal. When he has the scissors, he's like, clink, clink. Oh my God, (laughs) I can't do the foley, obviously. But it's like the ching, ching of like the snip. (laughs) I forgot about this. And like it whips through the air. Oh my god. Yeah. It's so. true. Every time there's a fucking knife, it's like shing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they had done that with the umbrella. I or wish. did they? Did they? <laughs> we'll have to rewatch it. Oh, the umbrella that Twist stabbed Billy for real. Jeez. Oh, and then okay, I lied. There are a few more. Uh, so there's suddenly shouting in all caps, where it's just suddenly shouting, and that's the phone with Drew Barrymore, where oh, it's like right, someone yeah. has a reasonable oh, thing, and then a switch flips. Ugh, I hate that. Uh, slashers prefer blondes. Yeah. Uh, the women that die are blonde. Uh, oh yeah. Then there's like the sacrificial lamb versus sacrificial lion. And I think I'm going to save that one to like get into another yeah, time. Yeah. But they're both characters that fucking die. But the difference between them is how like developed they are as characters and our right. attachment and what it says about killing those characters. Interesting. Um, and then there's take that critics. And that's like, I found it. I found it, which was, I found it and yeah. I thought it. <laughs> I found uh, it. I thought it funny. Uh, <laughs> I liked, um, Basically how it's like this engagement with a particular segment of the audience mm-hmm. because at one point Stu and Billy are like, horror movies don't create killers. They just make them more creative. Yeah, and that yeah. was basically a way of, in advance, saying there are going to be copycat murders based on this movie and it's not our fucking fault. Yeah. And that did happen. But did it? Yeah. Oh. Uh, but again, it's not this movie's fucking fault. Right. So to me, I just... Whenever someone is like, oh, I was inspired by this to murder someone, it's like, no, you would have found any reason to be inspired. Like, if you wanted to kill someone, you were going to do it, and you just decided to do it in this style because you felt called to that style. But, like, it's not the movie's fault. Right. I really want to draw that line where it's like watching a scary movie might give you an idea of, like, the style of doing it. But if you're going to kill someone... You're going to kill someone. Watching Scream isn't going to, like, change anything. You and I watch a scary movie every week. Yeah. not out there murdering people. 
Not that I, you know of. <laughs> this was actually an issue when they um, tried to find where to uh, film in the school. Yes. They this were. a big issue. Mm-hmm. Because, like, school shootings and stuff like that, like... The school, yeah, like, the particular school that they went to... Changed their mind. They wouldn't let them film because they had a murder at their school... Yes. uh, ...the year before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, like, a four-hour debate uh, with the school board and the filming, like, uh, the crew would be like, please let us film here. And they were like, no, absolutely not. And they started filming before they got a decision. And um, finally they were like, no. So they had to go to the community center down the road, which is why you don't see a lot of shots of the school. Mm. You don't get like the bustling hallways. Yeah. You don't get, it's a lot of outdoor things where they hang out at the fountain yeah. or they hang out in like one room because it's not a school, it's a yeah. community center. So yeah, they couldn't find it huh. because people were scared. They were like, we don't want this kind of attention. Yeah. One of, which, their, yeah. Yeah. One of their articles I read said that it was um, like in the credits as it, it's like, and no thanks to this school district to be yeah. like, fuck you, you didn't let us shoot there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but yeah. I can understand I why get they it. wouldn't specifically because they did just have a student and pass away and they were like, we don't want to go through that again. Yeah. Like they read the script and they were like, no, sorry. Yeah. And Wes Craven was like, we're going to shoot here. And they were like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. So yeah, they debated and debated, but they, they ended up being like, no. Um, so they were still in the same town, but yeah, they uh, couldn't get it. But I understand that. That makes me very upset is when people blame specific movies or video games or whatever. One of my favorite memes or jokes or whatever is like uh, when people are like, "Uh, you know, violence is because people are playing violent video games. And it says me can't choose the dialogue option that makes me be mean. Like, (laughs) I can never. I would never. It doesn't matter what game I'm playing. If they're like, hey, if you hit B, you can yell at this person. Or if you hit A, you can hug them. And I'm like, well, I'm going to hug them. Like, Mm. I can't be mean in a video game, let alone be violent because of one. It's yeah. ridiculous. Ay. So yeah, that, that's a good one. That's a good trope. <laughs> yeah. So those are my I didn't even catch that they said that. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, now we have to decide how to rate this movie. Yeah. I don't know if I have. Oh, I don't know. Umbrella Stabs. Okay, Umbrella Stabs is good. This one is a mouthful and oh. <laughs> I already regret my phrasing. <laughs> What you'd say now? Clocked dicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It was only a matter of time before that was one of the options. Yeah, and then just like ghost faces, oh like days, denim jackets. I don't know. Like I'm just throwing I out had, things that stood out to me. I had thrown phones. Mm. Um, <laughs> thrown phone is very nun run. Phone phone. Oh, the nun run was so fun. I like that one. Priest. <laughs> Yeet priest. Yeah. Oh my god. Gotta go back to the rhyming, lines. you know. Okay, so throne phone's good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man. Oh, lime green power suits. Mm. Uh, wow. I mean, there's just so many things, you know? I'm trying to think of something Stu says specifically, but <laughs> ominous ear flicks. Oh. Really... Ominous slash sensual ear flicks. Yeah, honestly. I was like, okay, you're going to tell me they weren't going to kiss later? Sure. Mans. <laughs> That's what I was trying to think. I was like, I'm going to feel kind of sick, man. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty woozy, man. <laughs> You gotta say it like that, though. How yeah. many memes? Yeah. <laughs> so you give it. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Which one are you feeling? Which one are you liking? What? I no. I. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The reason I made that face is because you said which one are you liking. It was like L I C H E N liking. <laughs> I did like a spelling bee moment in my head. I was like, what are you doing over there? 
not thinking. (laughs) (laughs) And not liking either. (laughs) What are you drawn to? See, I'm either drawn to man or uh, I like throwing phone just because of the rhyming. Yeah. Um, You know, that's umbrella stabs is good too. Meh. I like an umbrella stab. I Uh, think emotionally, I just really love the thrown phone because it was improv. Because it was improv. It's incredible. Uh, I think we should get a thrown phone. Okay. I think we got to go back to our good rhyming, rhyming okay. roots. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Are we doing um, the... Okay. Yeah. Same time? Yeah. I'm not going to fuck it up. Okay. <laughs> One, two, three. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Changed it, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I gave it five. Mm-hmm. Kate originally gave it four and a half. Mm-hmm. But then my five was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Kate gave it five. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Sure. Um, I... I just love this movie. I just had a blast. Uh, I didn't really take a ton of notes because I was so into it. I swear that me not remembering the names has nothing to do with how much I paid attention to this movie. Oh, you just, names are hard. They're really hard for me. And I just want to make sure folks know that, that I'm not like, what was her name? I don't know. I love her with all my heart. Peyton, Tayden, Tayden, Peyton, whatever. (laughs) I love her. Okay. (laughs) Potato. I love my sweet potatum. Okay. Let me have this. (laughs) Potatum. Potatum is my favorite. Um, I just like this movie. It was a blast. I like every single trope being like flipped on its head or literally just pointed at and being like, can you remember that? Isn't that wild? It's just great. It's a blast. It's so fun. I loved all the character development specifically. I thought that was super cool that everybody has their own kind of personality, but it's not, it's not, it's like the one thing in the movie that's not a trope is their personalities. Cause they could have easily given them like, you know, Cabin in the Woods are supposed to be in these little, but none of them really are in a way. I don't know. It was super cool. Yeah. Um, and I loved the camera angles. I didn't even notice mm. that. You pointed it out and I was like, oh yeah, that's super cool. They just had a lot of cool stuff. That's really it. I just had a good time. Yeah. You know? No no specific reason. Just had a, had a fun time. Yeah. My – the reason that I originally gave it four and a half yeah. was just my, like, general qualms that are across all movies, more or less. Right. Except the, like, exceptional ones that are somehow avoiding somehow this. Somehow just great. Uh, it's basically, like, there was no diversity. Oh, God. Uh, no. And that's a really common thing in most movies. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean it's not important or it's not, like, still bad. But, yeah, it's still um, frustrating. And then there, this is another reason why I was like, eh, kind of waffling because right. Gail says some really fat phobic shit. Oh, she really does. But also she's a bad person. So it's not yeah. supposed to be reflecting like in society, fat equals bad. It's supposed to be right. saying like, she's a dick. Like she's the worst. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then I feel like there were a few things that it was like, eh, that's kind of, eh. but for being from 96. <laughs> I, I had this exact thought, actually. Yeah. When I was like, 496? I had way less qualms than I mm-hmm. anticipated. Yeah. I didn't even think to think of them, but or to say them. Yeah, like the ones you just mentioned, all the same things. Yeah. I was like, yeah, very uh, not a diverse movie. Yeah. And <laughs> not at all. I obviously, like, comes from a place of privilege being able to say, like, that right. wasn't a factor that affected the way that I engaged right. with the movie. So, like, I want to say that it is problematic. Um, right. You know, if I'm judging it on the merits of like the cinematography, the score, the humor, the acting, it has to be five phone thrown phones, thrown phones, thrown phones, five thrown phones. So that's a perfect 10 thrown phones. Yeah. Because we talked about it before. They're like, you can like things as long as you're just willing to be like, it's got its issues. And I know that. Yeah. (laughs) Just, you know, just, just think about them. Yeah. 
Uh, Perfect Ten Throne Phones for just being, being a fun movie. Yeah. It's just fun. Two cinematographers in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> what they did, I do not know, really. I don't know how much footage they got rid of for being... that. That's what confused me, mm. is that I was like, who do I who do I credit for the oh, cinematography yeah. in this movie? Because he said all of his shots were like unusable and out of focus. So how did they who did they who did the Who's to say? Who's to say? <sighs> what if was to blame was the camera? What if was to blame was the salt lamp camera <laughs> and potatum, huh? And potatum. Speaking is so fun. <laughs> I think that wraps up our discussion of screen. It has to. I, I have no words left in my body. Yeah. That was it. So if you enjoyed your time with us, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That makes us feel really good, helps other people find us, uh, boosts us in the charts a little just bit. Just do it. Uh, we just love reading what you say. Just do it. Please write and review. Kate's being nice, but just do it. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go With It on both of those. And yeah. every Wednesday, we'll post the movie for the week. Mm-hmm. And if it's streaming for free somewhere, we will mention that. Yeah. Um, and then you can also check out our extended show notes where I put all of my sources. All good stuff. All the memes we mentioned and then tropes and just random shit too. Yeah. Uh, and that is justgoolwithitpod.com. You could also take a look at our Patreon at Ooh. patreon.com slash justgoolwithit. And we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons, Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, Kayla, and Meg. And we had some patrons join this month. We did. But because they're not charged until November, <laughs> we have to wait to say them. <laughs> but we will say them. Just and so everyone knows. We love them so very much. And we're very excited to add their names. And they chose this movie. So. Yeah, our patrons yeah. chose this movie. Ugh, we always forget until the end. This is a patron pick. Yeah, this is our patron pick. Yeah. So every month we let them, I think it's like four movies we give like an option of yeah, like four movies yeah we choose four movies and we try to give them like a range yeah, of yeah. movies so our patrons get to choose a movie and we mm. will do one each month and it's always a blast oh my god they, they, have, they haven't steered us wrong yet I'm telling you, they only choose bangers like yeah, they do. <laughs> they're killing it we love so yeah them. our patrons are fun we also do like horror streams um we also do simul watches mm-hmm. pa- patreon's a place to be it's place our to discord's be. a blast oh so fun the intro and outro music was created by Anthony Racazella, and the cover is by our very own Nikki Solomon. That's me. That's me. Blurry and out of focus. <laughs> I'm blurry, I'm out of focus, and I don't know how to say names. <laughs> Come get me. <laughs> uh, what a good movie, man. Uh, man. <laughs> Let's just end it with our best. All right, man. Man. I'm feeling woozy, man. My favorite is to hit me with your fucking phone, man. <laughs> This a kiss to the sky from Matthew Lillard, my favorite man. Here comes the bell! Here comes the bell! <laughs>